Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started patrick is the chief smart spaces solutions officer at global logic in uk and ireland and a trusted advisor in digital transformation and emerging technologies In the interview Patrick shares how moving to a foreign country in his case from Germany to the UK forced him to step out of his comfort zone and start from scratch at the same time he shares how he has learned to come in in any new role in any new company with a very clear intention and with asking questions and getting started from day 1 Hi Patrick welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast Thank you so much it's a pleasure to be here It's uh, wonderful to have um, you here. Just to... fantastic. Um, would you like me to introduce myself very briefly? Sure, that would be wonderful. Excellent. Um, well, listen, real pleasure, pleasure to be here. My name is Patrick Strauss. I'm the Chief Smart Space Solutions Officer uh, at Global Logic. Um, my background very much is around technology innovation. I've been in this area of, in the space for over 25 years, nearly 30 years, way too many years that I probably won't want to admit to. Um, but you know, it's a it's an area that I'm incredibly passionate about. Um, it's an area that I would say I'm reasonably well-rounded in terms of some of the experiences that I've personally made. working with many clients and you know growing and developing myself in this space has been certainly part and parcel of kind of who I am and what I do and more importantly what I'm very passionate about which I'm sure we're going to go through today wonderful thank you for sharing that and before we go into what you do today can you share a bit of your backstory and how you got to where you are today Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I originally was born in Germany many years ago. I went through, I would say, the traditional way of obviously completing school, um, then kind of went to the military services, which obviously is compulsory in Germany. And after that military services, I sort of kind of had the ambition to go and study at university. But there was a kind of a an interesting inflection point at, at that time. 
um, because when you looked into the market, we had a lot of people that went to university, studied business degrees, came out three, four years later out of that and couldn't find a job because the market was oversaturated with people that had business degrees. And in parallel, we had a lot of people going exactly the same time, studying more engineering degrees, you know, sort of more technical side of things. And guess what? Exactly the same happened with a lot of people completing their degree courses and were unable to kind of find well-paid jobs or couldn't get a job in the industry. So what my plan of action was, um, become a little bit of a hybrid. And it was quite novel at that time, seeing obviously the sort of the two groups that thought they were doing the right things, but ultimately from a job career perspective, it didn't look like it was kind of the right approach. What a lot of universities offered then was sort of these hybrid approaches where you kind of did a business, it was known as a business engineering degree. So you kind of looked at how a company effectively runs and works. And on the other hand, you understand how, for instance, you get more practical, much more hands-on, but also understand how things on the shop floor, for instance, work. And for me, this was kind of the probably a fantastic combination of the two worlds colliding, bringing them together, because ultimately you're the person in the middle that kind of understands senior leadership, senior management, some of the challenges that, you know, they had at that time and are very much still there today. On the other hand, you understand some of the more critical things when it comes to production and output and some of the technical and IT side of things. Um, and you become a bit of a jack of all tricks, really, to kind of really understand both of these different languages. So that probably has been quite a career-defining moment for me to kind of choose this path of this hybrid environment. Uh, and I've followed this through. Um, I started off from an industry perspective, originally in the automotive space, which Germany would find very common. And then I had the opportunity to kind of go abroad, study abroad as well. And I followed that path, really followed up with a master's degree as well. And then I kind of got a bit stuck, uh, for the better phrase of it, in the UK. Um, and I think it's partially driven by my English and German skills. I think I saw a value of somebody who speaks obviously German and understands German culture but to actually live and work in a foreign country. I think that was a very important aspect of why I stayed probably in, in England for such a long period of time. Um, but I decided to kind of really look at some of the other industries. I went into some of the sort of larger uh, system integrators that allowed me kind of a range and exposure to a range of different industries um, ultimately. And I grew really within terms of responsibility and seniority across that. Now I'm in a place where I kind of really reap a lot of those kind of good times and bad times that I've sort of really experienced. I certainly wasn't immune to any redundancy experience myself in the past, um, but by the same token, kind of being promoted in roles as well. And I'm now sort of at the sort of the pivotal point. I can give back and I'm sure we'll elaborate that in a few minutes a little bit further. But for me, that is kind of very much which keeps me very passionate because the industry of Digital digitalization is not new. Yeah, has been around for many years and a lot of companies try and fail and some succeed, of course. Um, but for me, it's really interesting to see the progression of how the technology evolves, how people kind of adapt. And most importantly, how people around me, the organization, the people, the co-workers, the peers, um, and the people that report into me kind of really sort of do need to change as well. Yeah. And I'm not immune to change. I'm very much kind of the change maker in that respect as well. 
and that really has sort of really coined of who I am today. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, that. And as you were talking about like some of those challenges, living in a new land, struggling with the languages, and uh, sometimes those moments can be really challenging, right? You can be really confused and unsure about yourself. Can you share uh, about that period or that transition? What did you learn about yourself and how has that helped you later in the career? Yeah, I think that there's a very funny story, actually, kind of in terms of, you know, living in a foreign country. So I started my journey when I moved to the UK uh, in Birmingham, sort of six months into that, people around me kind of came to me and says, you know, you speak with a Brahmi accent. Um, so I naturally picked, seemed to pick up some of the nuances of how people speak, you know, the way how they kind of pronounce things. Uh, and I seem to have a bit of an affirmation to kind of really listen and maybe copy in some respect um, to fit in a little bit as well. So, um, but yeah, that was quite heartwarming in some respect that people around me without me really realizing. But you're right, I think kind of stepping out of your comfort zone or having lived, uh, you know, in Germany for such a long period of time with my friends and family. So, and then you really go into an environment where you don't know anybody, you kind of really have to start from scratch. Um, and I think if I translate that from a personal perspective into a professional perspective, every new role you go into, um, it's pretty much the same. You hardly know anybody, uh, unless you're very lucky that you may work with somebody that you've worked before. But I would say most people don't always have that. I would say the majority of people never really have that. So you always need to build your works out and that will take time. You don't know the processes around you. Yeah. May how to open a bank account in the UK, all of this. You know, it's there's a lot of synergies that I think from your personal experience that you can bring into your per, into your professional life. And I would say the place that I am now, I've actually joined Global Logic about three, four months ago. So I'm still fairly new and young, but I've done something very different this time around in comparison to all the other roles that I've stepped into and other organizations I've worked into. And that's probably kind of a little bit sort of some feedback for people that listen to this podcast is this time around, I walked in with a plan. I walked in with an idea of what I wanted to do. Now, I was in a positive position because obviously I accepted a role where, you know, a number of interviews where, you know, it was quite clear, you know, why they wanted me to come in and join them. Um, but. On this particular occasion, I come in with a lot of experience where I thought, you know, I can do things in very different many ways. And I wanted to really start really from the beginning. So pretty much on day two, once I picked up all my IT equipment and I was set up, um, I sat down with the team and I said, this is what's in my head. And everybody around me kind of just looked at me and said, yep, that's what we want. That's what we need. Off you go. So, you know, so getting that early validation very quickly in terms of is this what you want me to do and achieve is incredibly important. Can really employ everybody that, you know, when you go into the new role, and it doesn't matter really kind of, you know, the seniority level here. Um, I'm obviously very fortunate that I do come with experience here, but even if you're not quite as experienced, I would say always try to think of, you know, the interviews that you have, because you've picked up a lot of clues of the whys, yeah, the purpose. And I think one of the lessons really for me is that whatever job, whatever role you do, it needs to have purpose. Yeah. 
And you need to find this purpose very quickly, because if you do a job without a purpose, you will get for quickly. And I'm one of the first people to raise my hand and admit that I have been in roles where I've been incredibly frustrated, not because of pushback by senior management or kind of people just didn't understand what I was trying to say. Absolutely not. The purpose just wasn't clear. And I think that is really one of the key messages for any leader that you need to create this purpose, either yourself or you, you know, adopt the purpose that is around you mm -hmm. in some respect, and because that will drive some happiness in what you try to do and achieve. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick, for sharing that. I love that example, right? Because when we move to a new country and when we move uh, like workplaces, our first intuition, our first uh, compulsion is to fit in, right? To adapt. And what you're sharing is that because of your experience of moving countries and also going through multiple experiences, this time what you could also do was come in with a very clear intention of uh, understanding, listening the purpose, but then also setting a direction uh, and then right. not actually wait for that. I think that's very relevant for anybody who's listening to really uh, be intentional, but at the same time clarify those expectations or those uh, uh, messages which might not be visible because you're new to an environment, but then nothing stops you from asking and having conversations and figuring that out. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And I think a few people might find this uncomfortable as well. You're the new person, you don't want to not necessarily rattle the cage too quickly, too early. Um, and I totally understand that. As I said, I think with experience, you will understand that, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking questions and asking questions quickly, because there's nothing really worse than you coming into an organization and after four uh, four weeks eight weeks you figure out this was yeah and i'm sure we all have this kind of you know kind of thinking and say no have i done the right thing um give it time but also i think go in with that mindset of find that purpose for you find the things that maybe take you out of your comfort zone a little bit as well yeah, and I think that's important. You know, a lot of people come in with saying, oh, I've got 20 years experience of this, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, they're very valuable in the organization. But people that maybe embrace change, yeah, I think this is sometimes incredibly hard. And believe it or not, it is very hard to find good people that embrace change quickly. Um, this world that we're living in, yeah, Funnily enough, it's changing so rapidly. Um, you know, change is now at such an accelerated pace, not just from a technology perspective, but look at how our end customers, our consumers, yeah, that buy our products and services, how they have changed in terms of behavior. You know, the tools that they have now to tell you how good or bad your products and services are, literally at a push of a button. Yeah, how quickly do we as an organization see that change, react to that change? And I would say, you know, from my own humble experience, having worked for the last 25, 30 years across so many industries, there are so many opportunities for organizations to get it and do it better. But also it depends on the right people to have the change mentality. And you know, we have people that are very comfortable in what they do because they've been doing it for the last 20 years and they don't see any reason why they should change. And that's probably okay to up to a certain point, but every organization has to change nowadays. Absolutely. 
And uh, as you lead that, right, as you lead a change initiative or as you lead an organization, you will obviously bump into those people or those uh, or that resistance because we all also want to stay in our comfort zone. How do you navigate that friction, that pressure, when you really want to drive things towards a direction, but people around you are not really open to that? Again, it comes a little bit back to the point of purpose that I've made uh, and communication. I think communication is key, no matter which angle you look at this. Um, understand the people around you. I think this is important. Yeah. Patience as well. Um, and ask the questions of why. Yeah. Why is it that you may not want to change? Why do you not agree with that? Thing? Be very open and resilient against the feedback that you get. Yeah. Um, don't dismiss that, especially if you look at some of the older generation, you know, they are not necessarily as comfortable with change. They want away from retirement. And now the whole organization talks about digital and digital, yeah, which is admittedly, you know, geared towards maybe the younger generation, yeah. Um, so how would somebody who is away from retirement not feel neglected or kind of felt like an outcast? And I have to admit, I get it. The answers are not always obvious and are simple, okay? But there's no reason for somebody that's been in the organization for so many years and 18 months away from retirement, you know, to kind of, you know, just put them on the scrap heap sooner. That is not the answer. Actually, quite the opposite. Utilize the 18 months that you have this person still in your organization to drive even greater value to find the opportunities where this person can really make an impact. And it may not be in your own team. And that's the key, yeah? Find the big fit in terms of what you do, but don't dismiss the people that may fit somewhere else, yeah? Everybody has qualities. And I make a very poignant, maybe, example and reference here. And, you know, take it back close to home for those that have children, yeah, or family. You do not throw your kids out. You don't fire them just because they get on your nerves, just because they don't listen. Yeah. I'm currently going through the highs and lows of, you know, having a 12 year old who is probably more glued to screens than actually, you know, keeping his room tidy. Um, and you know, it's frustrating the hell out of me in a business context. You probably get one strike, you get two strikes. And by the third strike, you know, you're out. That's the business world. My argument is. We don't do that at home. Why, why would we do it in the business world? Yeah. We should treat people in exactly the same way how I guess we treat or how we want to be treated. Um, and I think this is a valuable lesson. You don't hear that a lot, that kind of you're making these kind of analogies to your personal life to say, you don't fire your children. Well, you get very upset and you're maybe kind of ground them for a week or you take away the, the PS4 or Nintendo or whatever else it is. But that's probably as far as the inverted commas punishment goes. Um, why couldn't you do similar things without being, you know, as drastic to say, just because you don't fit, you have to leave. And I think again, you know, if you look at really what makes employees and investors really tick to invest in your company today is kind of show that inclusivity and accessibility of people. And again, it's not something that you hear a lot of companies do really talk about. Yeah. Um, and especially the medium, smaller companies, you know, really do 
a little bit better in some respect, to kind of be more vocal, more visible outside, to be, to be more inclusive about people. Um, and I certainly embrace that, you know, wholeheartedly, but it all comes back to communication, to communicate the whys, communicate the hows, and communicate really on a personal one-to-one -one level to kind of really kind of get those mm -hmm. common grounds to say, it may not be fit for purpose for what we're trying to do, but maybe there is other parts within the business where these people can drive. And I think you need to explore these opportunities, you know, and embrace those opportunities. Yeah, thank you. And you were talking about passion earlier, right? So can you share what is it that you are most deeply passionate or most deeply that you care about? I think for me um, is to see how technology innovation really drives value and benefits. Um, and I'll give you a really good example, something that I've been incredibly proud of, but I've been also incredibly lucky that I've been at the right time, right place. So about three years ago, I worked for a different organization then. Um, I was very lucky to meet with somebody called Peter Scott Morgan. And Peter was a robotic scientist. Uh, he was unfortunately diagnosed with, in 2017 with multi-neuron disease. Uh, and I have to admit, at that point, I didn't really know what multi-neuron disease was to the degree of Obviously, I need Professor Dr. Hawkins. You know, he was obviously an iconic figure in the world until he obviously sadly not died. Um, but, you know, that was sort of the epitome in terms of somebody confined to a wheelchair who had that robotic voice to communicate with the outside world. That's as much as kind of my own knowledge was at that time. So here was a situation where I was completely out of my comfort zone, you know, from a personal perspective, for sure. But... Because Peter was such an inspiring person, he turned everything on its head. And he basically said, why couldn't we take technology innovation and make it better for people that suffer from motor neuron disease? And I think it's a very straightforward, simple question that probably not a lot of people have asked before. He certainly kind of was the person who was very vocal about this. And you start sitting back and say, yeah, why couldn't we actually do that? Um, and as this journey progressed, as we really tried to get close to his vision, and his vision was to become Iron Man. Yeah, so think of Marvel Comics. Yeah, that kind of Robert Downey Jr. flying around in the red suits, you know, kind of fighting evil. Ultimately, that was his vision. And if you think about it, you know, what it needs, it, actually technology is not that far away. I mean, yes, it's all CGI and it's, you know, great people that create these kind of Marvel um, uh, films. But what's really striking is that if you put it into the real context of really how technology can assist somebody that lives a different, better life, yeah, quality of life, it's just so opening your mind. And I think this comes back to what makes me passionate is as me and my team kind of really, and there were other organizations involved in that, of course, as we really rallied around, you know, to solve it for one person, the opportunities to solve it, not just for one person, but for so many people. Yeah. The things that I found out about motor neuron disease, there's about 400,000 people in this world suffering from motor neuron disease. Yeah. But what we're allowing them to do, for instance, is to have a very different and better quality of life by giving them technology, by giving them data that ultimately kind of creates a bit like a digital version of themselves. 
Now that might sound scary for some people, but for Peter, that was where really his you saw his smile kind of really uh, getting bigger and bigger because that's what he said is, you know, we all have so much data around us. Why couldn't we utilize it in the way that once I can't talk anymore, once I can't use my arms and legs anymore, and I probably can only use my eyes. And that is really, again, something that I've learned that those that suffer from autoimmune disease, you're trapped in your own body. You can still think. You use your eyes to basically communicate to the outside world. And what we did, we allowed Peter to have a mechanism to paint pictures through his eyes, through a kind of an interface that kind of he could choose the colors, the forms, the uh, pictures and everything. He basically can create emotions. And for somebody that is trapped in his body, you can't talk. And away from the voice books that you know from Stephen Hawkins, yeah? Um, this was something incredibly revolutionary, yeah? There's no other solution out there. And seeing that excitement of that one person and knowing that we can change lives for so many people, it's just an incredible moment. And I think, you know, for me, this has been probably the most pivotal point for me in my career where I say, this is a thing that I will always look back and be very proud of that right mm. time, right place, right outcome. Thank you for sharing that. It's uh, it's visible. The pride and the meaning that you take is visible in your body language right now. And as you move to the next phase of your career, right, as you are also starting a, a new position and you are very clear about like what motivates you, what gives you that energy, what are some of those biggest challenges that lie ahead for you in the next phase? I think for me, you know, looking at where I am today, working in an organization that is transforming, which is hugely exciting and is one of the reasons why I joined Global Logic. And it's transitioning for all the right reasons. Um, the transition is not easy. Yeah. And I know this and I have to exercise patience in myself sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I know that exactly. I know the patience and the time and the right purpose. Once everything is aligned, it will be great. Um, the challenges that I see is that I think I'm old and skilled enough to kind of you navigate through some of those, you know, waves that are coming towards me that I some, somehow need to find a circle or to serve along. Other people will struggle with that. They don't even know that they need a surfboard, let alone that a wave is coming to hit them. Yeah. And it's, I think, making sure that we're taking the right people along on this journey. Yeah. Making sure that those people are equipped with the right kit, with the right mindset and mentality. And the way we do this is by outlining what we're going to do for our customers, because everything that we do day in, day out as a digital product engineering organization, we're not changing what we do in the sense of we're still creating fantastic products and solutions for our customers. But more importantly, the emphasis is changing in the sense of we're now looking more importantly, the outcome of those product engineering and design-led engineering capabilities in terms of impact on people, planet, and prosperity. So the triple bottom line, and this is a bit of a new story. Now, triple bottom line has been around for many years. Yeah, it's that is not new. But what we're seeing is with that sort of collision of sustainability, driving a lot of force, a lot of action, a lot of head scratching of, you know, how do we do it in our organizations? 
And obviously the digital wave colliding. And I think there's many other waves, obviously, which impact the business. But for me, if I boil it down to just two, two big ones, it's sustainability and digital. Now, digital has been around probably a little bit longer than the sustainability wave, but digital will come an enabler for sustainability. That's, you know, I think it's very clear. And I think Global Logic very firmly sits in the digital space doing some incredible stuff. But I think what we need to understand now is how does this, what we do day in, day out, really impact on people, planet, and prosperity? And it's more a bit of a, a different mindset. But I think it really enables a new, better purpose for everybody. Mm. Yeah. Uh, how we going to measure ourselves in, in the future on this. That I think is the new imperative. That is not just important for us, for myself, and I think for everybody out there. Um, and this is scary. Yeah. You need, and this, there will be ambiguity as well. So I think my main message really to everybody is embrace change. Don't be afraid of it. Um, change does not always have negative or bad things attached to it. Change can actually be really good. Um, but be open-minded to, to change. Um, and for me, I think this is the biggest challenge in the sense of finding the right people that understand and want to go the same way. Um, and those that don't give them the opportunity to upscale, uptrain, you know, kind of maybe help them understand why the change is possible. Don't let anybody live behind. And I have lived and breathed that in years. Um, and especially as a side note, I kind of work with Cranfield University as a visiting lecturer and supervisor for MSC uh, final year students. And um, what I do with passion is when I see a student struggling across their four months for MSC thesis, I don't just wait and sit there and, you know, just, well, they will figure it out themselves. They're most likely won't. They don't have the experience. They need somebody to kind of say, look, here is a structure. Here is something that I've done before. Look at it and embrace it and help them. Take them on the journey with you. And the amount of success I've had, the praise, the kind of, you know, the seeing people change their attitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very difficult to teach. Yeah. You can teach skill. You can't teach attitude. You can't change attitude. And I think this is what I'm looking for in, in people that work with me is, yes, you can be the best programmer. You can be the best project manager. You can accounting right, left, and center, most likely more better than what I do. And don't get me wrong. This is important. Skills are important. But it's the attitude. And if I can help see there is real potential, somebody who's got the right attitude, to embrace change. I, you know, will always look very serious at this person to say, you know, there is potential here because what this person will see throughout the rest of their career is change. That is the one common denominator that we will all be exposed to. Thank you for sharing that. And you were talking about communication being uh, like, like one common denominator earlier. And now as you speak about working in a very new, in a way, we are working in a very different way than what we were doing just a few years ago. But then you're also uh, a visiting lecturer or visiting professor, and that allows you to talk to communicate with students or with people who are very different than in the workspace, right? So from the communication point of view, what advice would you give uh, today's leaders 
really bridge that gap between where they are and where the other person might be, either because of like those uh, divide of uh, of hybrid work or virtual work, or the divide of like different cultures, different languages, different age groups. What's your key lessons around communication that can make anybody's life easier? It's, it's a simple question. I wish there would be a very simple answer that you know somebody can just listen to and adopt. Um, I give you my take on this one, and this is really on my own humble experience and things that worked and didn't work for me. Um, what worked for me is kind of really listen more rather than talk. Yeah, sitting back in meetings and just really observe um, and take it in. You don't always have to be the alpha leader. As a leader, you don't have to be the center of attention. In fact, sometimes as a good leader, you have to step out and let the people around you take the lead. Um, and I take an analogy a little bit that kind of uh, Roosevelt did years ago. And he said, and uh, I think it was in the First World War, um, one of the generals basically said he threw a chain on the table. And he basically asked his uh, his um, personnel, you know, he says other generals and leaders and corporals kind of say, so if you push it, which way would the chain fall off the table? And obviously, depending on which position at the table you stood, you kind of got so many different answers. Um, and he basically said, well, you're all wrong. And he said, and he basically picked up the chain and he dragged it. And that kind of was the sign and the symbol to say, look, Somebody has to take the chain and lead and everybody will follow. Now that leadership, that taking the chain, taking the command, the lead, you know, kind of showing the direction. Yeah. Because if the chain is just on the table, which direction does it go? Well, there is, it could go in so many directions. And I think this is sometimes what happens with leadership is that you just put the chain on the table and say, off you go. And the outcomes are not there, not right not what expected because everybody pushes the chain in a different direction. What good leadership looks like is what I call leadership without ego. You actually do take the chain and you pull it in the direction that you think is right. And everybody will hopefully fall within that. Now, what is also important is as a good leader is don't just take all the credit. And I've kind of had my fair share of working with senior leaders that Although I've done the great, the, the, you know, the right job, done the right thing, they have taken the credit. As a very good leader, you turn this around. Yes, you probably would like to take the credit because you would like to kind of look really good in front of your boss, and you could argue it's right or wrong. But more importantly, you need to take give back. And for me, that giving back that power to the individual that has delivered is ten times more worth then you taking away that power and pretending and actually the success has come through you. Yes, you probably were the person who takes the chain and takes it off the table and leads. But as a good leader, you also need to understand that the people that will follow the chain will be even more powerful to you if you give that power back to them. So this is quite a good lesson to kind of really make it visual on people's heads to say, just because you're the person who's taking the chain and pulls it in a certain direction does not necessarily give you the right to just have the power exclusively to yourself. Yeah. And I think 
that's sort of the lessons that I've learned to say, sometimes, although I give the direction, step back and listen, yeah? Give the people that are around you the opportunity to shine and they will give that back 10 times what you would expect them to do. And it's that kind of iterative kind of process that kind of, if you do it over and over again, you build that kind of reputation of this is a leader that can be trusted. It is all about trust, but also you communicate it in a way that people probably feel far more appreciative than probably just, you just do this and there is no praise around it. So I think for me, that's also part of communication. Don't just talk about all the bad and negative things that people do. Praise as well of really good behavior. And there are so many vehicles to do so, to really show your appreciation, yeah, from, uh, you know, ability to, I want to see more from that, of you from mm. that, doing that. Um, and that is really important to do as well. So really finding that really good balance, that I think makes a good leader on top of the communication. Thank you. Thank you. I love that uh, vivid example. I think uh, taking the change, uh, taking the chain as a leader, right? Setting the direction, but then also how do you strengthen the chain? That's sometimes paradoxical. It's by listening. It's by encouraging people. It's sometimes by taking the blame and giving the credit away. And that's how you strengthen the chain to create a better team rather than just creating a better leader on the top. Right, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, And for anybody who is listening, right, and who wants to stay in touch, who wants to keep abreast of what you are up to, what uh, what you're doing or want to reach out, what's the best way to do so? Uh, you mean reaching out to myself, you mean? Yes, reaching out to you. Um, I, I, listen, I'm more than happy to kind of connect via LinkedIn, of course. I think this is sort of the usual platform. But yeah, that's how I typically communicate in terms of, you know, my uh, perception, my observations in the innovation and technology market. So a lot of people connect with me that way to stay up to date. So if you want to stay up to date on what's happening in technology innovation, you know, you're more than welcome to connect with me from through LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick, for sharing your life with us, sharing those some wonderful stories and the lessons that you have drawn from it. And I'm sure everybody who listens to this episode will find it very valuable. Uh, once again, thank you. And I wish you all the best for the upcoming challenges and upcoming successes that lie ahead for you. Simon, it was a real pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you for everybody who's listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. And absolutely, please let's stay in touch and keen to hear from like-minded uh, individuals and you can grow together. That is really the future. But thank you very much. Absolutely. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews 
go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team if you want to know more go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on linkedin i want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and i want to thank you for listening always remember that you are enough you are loved and you matter this is sumit until next time keep choosing leadership